Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. After COVID, it seemed like everyone was going into uh, live events. Uh, thank you, Stephen, for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, I mean, I mean, talking about that on the COVID aspect of it, I think you guys started in 2020, right? So what's really interesting when it comes to Holoco and the virtual events, we didn't start that until 2021. Hmm. And in 2020, we were doing all e-commerce. We, at that time in 2020, we had a really successful Amazon store. And I love being clear about what that looks like because we had a million dollar store. And so when people hear million dollars, it's like, wow, that's incredible. But honestly, we were made, we had like 10% margins. So we were making basically nothing. We were, we were month to month. And I always want to be fully transparent with that because we see it all the time on social media where people say that they made a million bucks. It's like, well, it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. So at that time, that's what we were doing. We had an Amazon store. Then when that went away, we actually pivoted over into Shopify and Facebook. And that also turned into a million dollars. That one was a lot better, though. We did a lot better with our margins in that one. Where, 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 do, you, where do you live? So I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma now. At that time, I was in Tennessee. Okay. So Oklahoma, I mean, the cost of living fairly affordable yeah oh yeah so a hundred thousand probably i mean works i mean you do well for yourself i guess in oklahoma right yeah hundred thousand okay yeah i mean it's so funny being in the real estate field i look at other areas and you see kind of the pricing you're just like oh man san diego that might be a little bit tougher especially <laughs> the right now uh but yeah so i mean so you're doing a hundred thousand i mean what makes you pivot to event planning yeah, so when we did, and I'll kind of take us through the sequence of events, because with Amazon, with it doing a million top line sales, having six employees and finishing out the year with 100K, what ended up happening is we had a financial backer. So they got 50% of it. So I was still in corporate at this time. I was in a corporate job for five and a half years, and I worked my way up on, up the ladder to becoming kind of mid-management. I was one of the youngest managers in this Fortune 100 company. Makes me really excited to say that, especially since I quit my job in 2020. But with that the what we ended up figuring out was that that model wasn't sustainable it's like if we're sitting here burning capital at such a high expense that we're really only keeping fifty thousand dollars to do that much work i think that year we did nineteen thousand transactions it didn't make a lot of sense so we actually completely took apart that business and started rebuilding it from the ground up so when i quit my job in june of 2020 and fully stepped into amazon we had more shifted into just doing wholesale, like big pallets worth of stuff. And then when Amazon shut us down, $100,000 in debt, and we had to pivot, we had to figure it out because I was, we were living off the 401k and we were almost out of that thing. Mm. So we were trying to figure it out. We got really blessed with being able to pivot into Facebook Marketplace and Shopify and using those kind of dynamically to boost our sales. And then first month in, that we started doing in October of 2020, it made $5,000 profit. By the end of 2020, we were able to help 33 underprivileged kids have Christmas. In six months, we're making $100,000 a month top line. And then by the end of 2021, it turned into a million dollar business. But at 20, it was a 22% margin, so a lot better. And the most important thing is we got to help 137 underprivileged kids have Christmas through either finding them in the school system of Tennessee or in the backwoods of Tennessee. And that whole project was about $50,000. We went, found all the kids, bought all the presents, wrapped all the presents, delivered them all. And in that time, so in that time, what we're going through all this is when we started running virtual events for ourselves. 
So we started doing our own challenges. Challenges was hot at that time. So we started running challenges and we were just understanding the dynamic of it. Cause I mean, our business was really good. We weren't really planning on pivoting into B, B2B. We were doing, we were doing that uh, direct to consumer. So I'm just thinking, what's the point in doing B2B, but we focused on just helping people, them start their own business, helping people in marriage. My wife and I have a really good marriage. That's a huge blessing. So we fully decided to pivot in 2022 because with e-commerce, e-commerce, you're at the, with the way we were doing it, we were just at the expense of these platforms. And with Facebook being our biggest driver, Facebook changed their algorithm daily. So us just trying to stay ahead of it. It was just like being out in the ocean and you've got a category five hurricane. You don't know what's going to happen. And so in March of 2022, we made a hard pivot into doing virtual events. We had run some pretty successful ones for ourselves. And then we made the pivot over into doing that in March of 2022. All right. So let me let me rewind a little bit. So the financial backer avenue of the first company yeah. it is in um, in that line, in that business right there. What was needed for the financial backer? I mean, it, it, are you are you paying for the product up front before you resell? Is that how it kind of works? Yeah. Okay. And so then any kind of profit, the, the arrangement you made is that he, they get 50%? Yep. Is that a kind of a normal arrangement where they get 50% or is that was that high at that time? That was high at that time because the expectation was that this person was not just going to be a silent investor, that they were going to be a partner in the business where they were going to be actually doing a lot of those activities. And what ended up happening was that fell through. So that's why they were a 50% partner was they were expected to do 50%. But okay. then when they fell through, they just said, well, I'm not doing it, but I'm giving you all the capital to do it. So I can either pull my capital out and it'll absolutely destroy the business, or you can just give me the 50%. So that's when, when that happened. And then when we finished that year in 2019, we just scrapped it all the way down where we could run it efficiently without needing that. If someone's needing a financial backer now, or if you had it, were in the same situation, yeah. what what would it it look like, basically monetary wise, in in your opinion now? So we ended up having a financial backer for our next business, but that one was really interesting. So after Amazon, when we pivoted into Shopify and Facebook, we had a financial backer, but they got ten percent because okay. they were doing nothing in the business. So what I would look for. And this is what you have to do when you're going and you're approaching somebody. And A, you should probably have some kind of relational capital built up. You should know them to a certain degree. You got to pay attention to who you're asking for money. Because for us, it was a family member, but they had watched our journey over the course of seven years. So they understood that we had what it took. We did Amazon. They saw how that worked. They saw we made a lot of money with that. So when we were asking them to come in on this, they were all the way in. They just didn't want to be a part of actually doing anything. And so we said, okay, if you want to be a, a silent investor, this is what it looks like. You would get 10%. This is when you would get paid out. This is the, the contract. We actually had a full agreement. And when you are approaching them is you have to have a game plan. Don't just say, hey, I need 10 grand to start a business. It's like, what's the business? Who's your, who's your niche? Who are you actually speaking to? What are you selling if you're doing that? And that's, that's not only direct to consumer, but also business to business mm -hmm. is what, who are you selling to and how, and how are you actually going to fulfill? How are you going to take care of it? And what does it look like to actually get that investment back? So you you kind of learn your lesson from the 50% backer to a 10% a silent backer and actually knowing what they're going to simply going to backer. Then yep. where's the idea of helping all these families come about? Was this more of a an advertising tool or was it some deep passion from your past that you wanted to help out these, these uh, underprivileged kids? I mean, where did that kind of come from? 
I love that question. Actually, I've never had anyone ask that. So I absolutely love this is that was just one of those deep passions that I had. And it, and to be honest, it wasn't even really mine. I have a cousin where he had been doing it for years and he had just kind of done it on his own and he'd help one kid or maybe 10. And then in 2020, he, we were living in East Texas at the time we drove back home to Tennessee and I, he was my best friend at that time. And we were sitting there and we're talking and he, he had mentioned that he wanted to get back into it because he had taken a couple of years off from doing it. And I felt like at that time to just help him by coming in and saying, hey, we'll invest into this. We'll give you a certain amount of money and we'll help you go find the kids, buy the presents, all that stuff. And we helped 33 that year. And then when we're delivering these presents to these special needs kids in the school system, then we looked at each other and it's like next year it's going to be 100. And that's what it ended up becoming. And that was a full job because we've got videos of it and everything. We had a really good friend offer us a 2000 square foot unfinished basement and we turned that into a warehouse. But that's where that came from, especially, and I'm sure you understand this, is like the more money you make is what are you doing with it? Because making money is great, but once you're able to help your own family is what are you making money for? Are you just making money to make more money? For us, we always wanted to make money to help. But once you reach that mountaintop, it's for you to turn around and help somebody else. So for us, is just sewing back into those kids really meant a lot to us. Well, how did you know you made it, right? I mean, because mm. that I mean that's the question that we we all have. I'll help people when I get there, right? But yeah. you never know when you actually got there, right? So how do you know you actually actually made it? That's again fa fantastic question for me. When I knew and the, when I knew I'd made it was when I knew I was making more than what my bills cost me in a business that I didn't have to go clock in. I didn't have anyone managing me. I was my own boss. And that is when I was like, hey, I made it. I can sit there and if I don't want to cook dinner, I can order DoorDash. I can do some little bit more frivolous things and it's not going to sit there. And at the end of the month, we're going to be stressed out about if the money's going to be there or not, because the business was doing so well at that time that we were just we had it on automatic pay where it was paying us a certain percentage of that, of the monthly profit. We knew when it was coming in, we knew what it looked like. It was basically a paycheck. So we knew that that was far and above what our needs were. So that was when we felt like we made it. We could go on vacation. You can pay for the things you can send your kid to a good school, whatever it looks like. Then when did the, the idea of um, putting these events together? Cause I think in the timeline, right, you started giving back to the kids before you started the company of teaching yeah. people how to put events. Okay, so where did, where did that kind of come from? Was it, okay, we're making a good enough money here, but like did people come up to you and say, hey, I see you put this event together. Can you help us do our event or what that look like? That's exactly what happened. Okay. And that's when we fully decided to, to make that pivot because we weren't really sure what we were going to do. We just known that we, we had invested a, a, close to $10,000 into understanding, learning and running our own events. So that's all in marketing. What we spent 2,500 just on a lady coming in and building our funnels at that time. And so when we decided to make the switch, we actually had a person come to us and say, Hey, Steven, I've been watching you from afar. I've seen the events and I've spent, she spent $10,000 just on consulting. And she said, I'm no closer than when I first paid the $10,000 actually getting this thing off the ground. I know that you can do it because you've been running your own events. Can you just help me set up the tech? And that's how we've got into it. And that's that's kind of our business model now is doing that done for you portion where we build out everything that's needed. So that way our clients can just step on the, the virtual stage and present. Being you already had a 
background, I guess, in uh, marketing, I mean, how do you have to con- change basically the B2B avenue of it compared to, I guess, the consumer? I guess you're still dealing with the consumer and basically yeah. who you're marketing, but how, how did you have to kind of like use some of the knowledge you had before, but also change it towards this space? That, that took time because with the direct-to-consumer, to be honest, that was something where I had to understand marketing. We had to understand how you position products. It's like, how are you speaking to your ideal audience? All of that. And at the same time, there was part of that that was lucky. We got really great organic growth by how we were positioning ourselves in the algorithm with Facebook to make money. So when it went from that to actually having to bootstrap everything, that was a huge transition because now I'm having to, to do all the outreach myself. I'm having to figure out how to go actually get in front of these people. If I'm doing Facebook ads, how am I reaching them? And so the biggest iteration first came at the beginning of 22, like 2022, the biggest iteration was a change of just our wording because my wording was, Hey, we're going to help you run challenges because that's what we had done. And everyone said, get really specific niche all the way down because the riches is in the niches. But then I'm sitting there and I'm talking to a good buddy of mine now. And he said, maybe you should just go up market. It's like, cause I have no idea what a challenge is. It's like, I have plenty of challenges in my business, but I know that's not what you're asking to help with. He said, if you go up market and just say that you run virtual events or you run online events, he said, now I understand, I understand what those are. And that was the real big cornerstone for us to overcome was first wording. And then two was who are we actually helping with this thing? And how did you figure that out? I mean, was it, you said your friend, I mean, were they a consultant? Were they a coach? I mean, what were they to you? So he owned a, he exited a really successful marketing agency. It was a multi-million dollar agency and he had exited. So he is a business coach now. So at the time I just, I was talking to a fellow podcast host at the time and he connected me to this guy because he said, oh, you really like him. And just through the conversation is when he gave me that piece of advice, kind of broke it down, explained why I should do it that way. The way that I figured out who our ideal client is, is honestly just by going out there and talking to people because I think it's great to have a plan. I think it's great to sit there and strategically plan. Okay. What does our year look like? What's our three year, five year, 10 year run, whatever it looks like. But until you start implementing, you don't really know. So for us, I didn't, at the time I thought, okay, I'm going to look for more people like this lady who came to us and I'm going to go find people who want to run challenges. And we found a couple that way, but it just wasn't consistent. And what I found was finding coaches and consultants that were already running events or that were in the event space made it easier for us to communicate our worth and our value. Because if you're if you're talking to somebody and say, hey, I run online virtual events and they say, what is that? Then I know that I have this hurdle where I'm having to break beliefs. I'm having to help them understand what it is before we can ever work down that pipeline to where we can even discuss what it looks like for me to help you and why you would want our services. So you were... Um, reaching out to coaches to basically sell them the product. Yeah. Okay. And then, I mean, I'm guessing that was probably pretty straightforward because there's a lot of, I mean, coaches out there. And I mean, were you just basically getting on the phone and calling them or were you direct messaging them? Or what was that process like? Direct messaging. And honestly, a lot of it that I found to be successful for us is I would be on a podcast and then I would have the podcast host. I would ask them, it's like, hey, who do you know? Then I think that's the best way to get started is that's more relational. It's more of a warm intro instead of you just making mm-hmm. that cold outreach and saying, who do you know? Do you know people in this in this field? If they say yes, they connect me with one, two people. And from there, it's just building the relationship with that other person. 
it's where I'm not getting on the first call and trying to sell them anything. It's I'm getting on there and I'm listening to them. I'm talking to them, learning about their business. They're getting to know me. And then if there is some synchronicity, then we'll get on another call for us to discuss it. But I'm, I'm never going to open up, but it's like, these are my services and this is who I am by myself right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it sounds, I mean, it, it's, I guess the secrets in the, the simplicity, right? Yeah. I mean, right, that's like the, the biggest thing. Now, when you kind of work through these, these headaches, it sounds like you've had a good people in your, your circle. You've been able to bounce ideas off of how do you find the right people to keep in your circle? And I would assume, right. There's, also some maybe naysayers i mean especially when you're dealing with technology sometimes an older generation might not be as excited as hey you're selling stuff online is that really a career i mean how did you kind of weigh out the naysayers compared to the people putting the right people in your corner so again this is what i was just saying with that relational equity and just having those calls is when i'm i did before i ever really started making money I probably did a hundred different connection calls where I would just get on the phone with somebody for 15 to 30 minutes and I would get to know about them, their business. Some people were younger. A lot of people were older. And what was interesting was I was able to hear these people and their, their different businesses, whether they're wildly successful or they'd been failures in some area and, and made a little bit of a life for themselves, whatever it looked like, similar to even your podcast is I got to learn who they are. And that's who I, how I was able to, to stay in contact with some really amazing business owners and investors is by making those initial connections. Now, absolutely, there's naysayers. And I was one of them for a long time because in the beginning, when I had switched from direct to consumer into business to business, direct to consumer was fast. It's like you have every day reinforcing ideas that you're that is making money. So you know you're going in the right direction. Well, business to business, you're doing a bigger, usually all of our stuff is high ticket and it's uh, pretty much everything is over three grand. So with that being said, is unless you get really, really good at your acquisition channel, you're probably not making a sale every single day. You're not waking up to a ton of sales every day. So that was a big switch for me. And then talking to people, there'd be people like, I don't understand it. I don't think I need this. It doesn't make any sense. And they, they, so I had to weed those people out. And honestly, with those people, the naysayers is where I could learn the most, not from the people who support me the most. I want to learn from the people who don't understand it. They don't support me. Why is it that you, did, you didn't like the way I reached out? Why is it that you didn't like what I was saying on the phone call? What did you not enjoy about it? What didn't make sense when I said that we run online events? Why, why, where was the disconnect? Because in those contentious conversations is gold. You just have to be willing to go into those contentious conversations and say and not get upset and say, what can I learn here? Because that's helped me reiterate this business a bunch of times to even get to where we're at right now. How long did it take you to not take the, that negativity or the rejection personal? That was a long time. <laughs> I would say a few months. because, And it's a few months of consistent action. I think that we hear, I've heard this quite a bit recently from people like Alex Ramosi, just talking about taking action, taking action, taking action. And I agree with that concept to a certain degree. I agree with it that you do need to take a lot of action because let's say that I was on one call a month and I wouldn't have had the ability to reiterate. I wouldn't have had the ability to actually walk through what I've walked through to say, okay, this is how I address these situations. This is how I would address somebody who I feel like is coming at me sideways. This is how I find my greatest support system. It would take so much longer. So when I'm sitting there doing a hundred reach outs a day, I'm on, you know, five, six, seven, eight calls a day. 
for a month, two months, then that's where I was able to have that ability to grow fast. And so that, that'd be my encouragement to anyone listening is just take massive action. So you're, you probably will suck. if you've never done it before I did, and I'm still working on it, but it's like when you're reaching out and whether it's cold calling, whether it's warm intros, it doesn't matter is get used to speaking to people, get used to how you reach out that acquisition channel and get used to people not understanding what it is that you do. They're not, they're not telling you that you're a failure, that you're awful. Don't take it as a personal offense. Let it go and ask them, what is it that you didn't understand? What is it that could be more clear? What is it that you like a little, that you do like about this? And once you can get that information, it'll just help you so much in your business. Well, and if they're willing to allow you, I mean, allow you to to hear them out, right? To, yep. to tell For them to tell you why they dislike it or like that. Because if they don't, I mean, right? Um, yep. But yeah, I mean, I think that's 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 so cute. That's, that's such a, a big factor. I think that's why people don't reach out they're afraid of that rejection but i think how you mm -hmm. said it is basically understanding uh why they don't know your product or why they don't uh fully understand it because it's not rejection it's just they don't understand it no yeah. i agree um if we were talking in, in five years from now where do you see yourself where do you see your business so in five years i've i've had this conversation with some really great strategic planners people who have been in the industry for a long time and I got asked this question, where do you see yourself in five years? It's like, where do you see your business? Honestly, I don't know if I'm in the same business. And the reason why I say that is because you change your business all the time. Like even Tesla, Tesla reiterates. So Tesla is building new models of vehicles for us is I don't know if we're still doing the same done for you model or if it's done with you. I don't know if I'm a coach then. It's like whatever. I'm not sure what it looks like. But I know that within the next five years that it'll be a sustainable five to ten million dollar a year business because of the growth plan that we have in place, the acquisition channel that we're building and the, the right partnerships we're putting in place. Now, granted, I don't know what Holoco looks like. I don't know if it's the same kind of thing. I don't know if it's different. I don't know if we have a bunch of clients or if we just specialize in helping a few massive clients and then we're taking a percentage of the profits because I have a buddy who he does that where he only works with three clients. He makes a million dollars a year and his clients will do anywhere from 100 to $250,000 in a weekend he takes a percentage of profits. He makes a lot of money. So there's just a, a few different avenues that we're still exploring. Got you. I mean, how? I mean, I know you talked about in the Amazon space or the, um, I get, yeah, I think it was the Amazon you talked about it. <clears throat> that was kind of ever changing, kind of understanding the new algorithm. In this space you're having right here, where you're talking about live events. I mean, how how much is changing? I mean, right now we're using Streamyard, and there's a lot of people that don't know about this platform I yeah. mean, i'm looking at i'm doing um uh, webinar events and it's kind of understanding it but i mean I, I can only imagine there's probably new companies new processes things that are happening but how often are those things changing or yeah that's a great question especially with understanding the space it depends on how you want to approach it it depends on your business model because there's people that i talk to there's clients of ours where they just want to do their stuff through zoom where they have really great landing pages they have great client flow to be able to get them into the event. They take care of the clients really well or those customers. And then the event is all through Zoom. It's not anything wildly crazy. Now, granted, a lot of people that I've talked to, they want to go robust. They want to do an online conference. You're going to have a hard time doing an online conference through Zoom unless you have Tony Robbins money and can sit there and go have a huge studio. Hmm. And with that being said, is it just we have like for us, we have a partnership with a platform that does virtual conferencing and it's huge and it's very, very robust. And 
those things are changing a lot now with AI, AI being implemented into all these new platforms that are coming out. So I'm just keeping my eye on those things. And then just like you said earlier, it's just trying to keep it simple because those things are great. And I'm sure some of those platforms are fantastic, but I've been on a lot of these demo calls with people that have these platforms and they're not even as good as just doing them with doing them yourself. AI is very new. AI is very not smart in certain regards. So it's changing, but it's not changing so rapidly in the event space that I'm having to just like my hair's on fire. So how is it changing for someone that's maybe not familiar with the event space? How is AI basically changing or how are they trying to get it to change with AI? Yeah. So the way that they're trying to get it to change with AI is imagine right now that we were on this, we we're on this call together and in the chat, it was just a bunch of people sitting there and saying, I love this. Hey, I've got a question about this. Hey, I've got this going on is instead of having or having to hire somebody to go in and moderate that chat is you have AI in there either doing a couple things, which is one is answering all of the questions and is driving engagement. So it's, it's saying, hey, I hope you didn't just miss what what Vinny just said. That was incredible. That's gold. Make sure to take that down in your notes. Like AI is doing these things now that humans used to do. Oh, wow. And it's also doing things where it's like, with video quality, audio fidelity, it's taking care of, of a lot of those back end systems too, just making sure the levels are good, changing whatever is needed. And so AI platforms are going to be really good in the future. I just don't think they're there yet. Yeah, there was, um, I mean, just as we're talking, I think it's, there's a video company where you can record yourself, but then the AI makes sure that your eyes are constantly looking at the screen. I mean, yep. so... I mean, there's things like that that I guess are coming for the live feed and right. Yeah. And there's even I mean, there's things now there's an AI platform now where you go in and you record yourself talking just the same way we're here on this podcast. Yeah. You record some videos of yourself. And what it does is AI will actually take your face, take your voice, and it will make its own avatar of you that looks like you, sounds like you. And it will make it. It can actually make entire courses now. And it oh, looks boy. like you and it sounds like you. So it's coming along and that's going to be the difference is one day there will be a time where you're able to host this podcast and not even be here. And there's going to be times where you're going to be able to run live events and you're not even going to be there because it's going to be a really great platform. It's just not there yet, but it will be. And when it is, that's actually something really exciting because for someone listening, it's like, well, Steven, it sounds like you're about to be out of business or I could reiterate my business and, and be the one behind the tech and understand how that's running and just maybe my team smaller. But now with the team that we do have, we specialize in making sure that the AI is working at all times, that you don't look uncanny, that the way that your voice is coming through, is that something that you would say? So then we're working with the client, making sure that the AI is taking is actually a, a direct mirror image of how that person would present. So now the business has just changed. If, if someone's listening right now and they're thinking about putting an event together, of course, we're going to get all Steven's contact information. They can reach out to you. And right what are like three, four, five, whatever that number is of things they must think about while they're putting that event together? Yeah. So this is kid. I will, I will water it down as much as absolutely possible. The top five things I would say that you should focus on is one, who are you speaking to? And I know that we talk about this as business owners, who are you selling to? But think about this really, really specifically when it comes to events, unless you have a gigantic following of people, you have to specialize on how you're helping them. I have a client that he does, he's huge in the AI space, but he only does the AI for people who are e-commerce store owners. That's his niche. 
So that's how he runs his events. He's not saying I'm going to help you with every single new AI that's coming out and, and how to do all the prompts. He's saying, I'm going to help you with e-commerce and how to integrate AI into your already existing store. So getting your niche down is really a big one. The next one is a roadmap. A lot of people undervalue actually planning. I actually plan for how this event is going to win instead of just worrying about, well, I, I know I need landing pages and I know I need to get people to, I need to get butts in seats and I need to sell them at the end. Have a roadmap. What, what's step one? How are they engaging with your content to even get to the landing page? Step two is when they sign up, what happens? Do they get emails? Do they not get emails? How, how do you stay in front of them so that way they show up to the event? And then the next steps down that roadmap is how, how am I sitting there? How am I presenting? How am I speaking? What are they learning? And am I doing more storytelling than, than selling? Am I doing more? Am I helping them feel more involved than just them sitting in a classroom? That's important. Don't just try to educate. You want to actually bring these people in and help them feel as if they're a part of the event, that they're getting real palpable things that can relate to their story, their life, their business. And one big piece that I would say that people miss is usually as they're walking through this roadmap and even as they're planning their, their speech, they're planning how they're going to help people is that there's 30 seconds where you go from helping to selling and people stumble every single time when it's their first few events where they're sitting there and it's like, okay, so Hey Vinny, so this is how we're going to walk through or Hey Vinny. So I remember there was a story. You just asked a question. It's like, how do I come out of a financial hardship? I remember when I was right there too, I yada, 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 all this happened. And well, and so because I have helped you, I think I've earned the right to tell you about this program that I also have. And that's when people stumble and they mess up mm -hmm. is trying to figure out how do I pivot into telling them about my paid offering, if, especially if the event is free. So that's a big piece. Uh, I tell people spend 30 seconds, figure out your flow. And how do you bring those two together where it's a it's synchronistic? where you're not, or you're not switching from helping to selling, you, your selling aspect is you actually helping them more. So that's another big piece. And then the one, I would say the next biggest piece behind that is once these people, once the event is over, how are you taking care of the clients then? Not just client fulfillment, but also the people who showed up. How are you reaching back out to them? For the people who signed up but never showed up, how are you taking care of them? So you have these three different streams that come out of an event, people who bought, people who didn't buy, people who didn't show up. And that's three different, basically, client acquisition pipelines for you to touch on. And you can make more sales. You can generate a lot more income doing those things. But those are some of the big ones that I would talk about. Thank you uh, so much, Stephen, for, for being on the Road to Earth podcast. If, if people are listening, what's the best way of getting more information about what you're doing, what you're going to do, uh, or reaching out to you about maybe uh, hiring you for one of their future events? Yeah, stephenpemberton.com. That's the easiest one to go to. You can click on services. It'll take you to Holoco, which will show you all of our virtual event stuff. And then if you just want to keep up with me on Instagram, you just look for Stephen Pemberton, LinkedIn, Stephen Pemberton. I'm pretty much Stephen Pemberton on anything and everything. Just go on there, type in my name and look for the dude who kind of looks like Jason Momoa or Aquaman. And that's probably me. Sounds good. I'm going to do one last question right here. Something we didn't even talk about, which kind of I, I thought about what you're talking so your your wife's your partner, right? In a lot of your business yeah. ventures, what's a piece of advice uh, working with your your significant other uh, in owning a business? What's a piece of advice you probably give to people that are maybe starting their own business uh, with someone close to them? Yeah, so this took a lot of time and a little bit of counseling, but the way that we came about this is you got to figure out what your strengths and your weaknesses are. For me, my wife's strengths is she is an excellent excellent operator. 
she is excellent at getting things done. So a lot of it for me, I'm a much better speaker. So I'm much better at front of house stuff. If you think in restaurant terms, I'm more front of house. She's back of house. And that's what she manages. So for me is I'm over the client acquisition channel. I'm over talking to the clients, getting them onboarded. And then she's over getting the fulfillment done. So even when we were in e-commerce where we were doing a lot of the same things, we had to figure out what really worked for us. We had a bigger team then. So for me is I was better with team members. I was better with meetings. I was better with helping them go up the, the, the ladder as far as actually getting promotions, different things like that and setting those things up. So what she was great at was the operations and those team members under her. So what we had to figure out was what am I responsible for? What are you responsible for? And keeping it to that degree where it's like, hey, this stays in the office. So if I'm not doing what I'm telling you I'm supposed to do, then you can hold me accountable. And then if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, I can hold you accountable. And then it's not going to end up in the bedroom where we're sitting there trying to get intimate. It's like, I can't believe you didn't send that email like you told me you're going to send that email. And this, so you just have to you have to draw really firm lines, make it black and white. So there's not this gray area. And that will avoid so many fights. Sounds good. Thank you, Stephen, again so much. Uh, hopefully everyone listening got some great nuggets. Uh, go on the show notes. Go find Stephen. I mean, virtual events are, are here to stay. Better get ahead of the curve. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.